0: To uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality to access post podcast discussions insights and further resources visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded so thanks for joining me today now let's get to grinding hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of stay grounded hope you guys are all having a phenomenal start to your week this week's guest is Mr. Logan Christopher. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because Logan is actually the first guest that is coming back on the show. Logan was the strong man that I interviewed in episode 35, where he revealed how an experience in the Amazon rainforest changed his life and how he was working on a book to commemorate that experience. Well, that book is done. Logan is now the official author of Powered by Nature, and in this episode, we dive deep into the power of nature and what it can have on your day-to-day experience. So Logan has really enhanced and jumped much deeper into his connection with nature. In fact, he now described himself as an emissary of nature, someone who communicates deeply with the wildlife plants and landscapes around him. Sounds a bit crazy, I know, but when you hear Logan speak about the power nature can have to really revolutionize your own insights, your own clarity, your own connection to self, I don't think you'll ever be able to look at nature through the same lens again. This episode is a beautiful opportunity to expand who you think you are and a chance to explore how you can open up different parts of your being by working through nature, with nature, and in nature. So it's a beautiful conversation, and Logan's one of my favorite people to sit down and go down the rabbit hole with. So I hope you guys really appreciate and take in everything that Logan's sharing here. Uh, It really is amazing what can happen when we reconnect with nature. I find myself, I'm a beach baby and I love being by the water. Every time I feel like I'm in my head or being too quote unquote brainy, I step out to the water and I find myself getting all sorts of clarity around what's important to me and how I'm going to go get it. So if you've had any type of experience like that in nature yourself, then you're really going to resonate with a lot of the things that Logan speaks about. And if you haven't really experienced nature to its fullest capacity, I hope this episode inspires you to get out there and really learn how you can become one with Mother Nature and how that can create a fulfilling, grounded life. So, hope you guys are excited. But before we get started, if you haven't already subscribed to us on any of the podcast apps, we are all over the place. Leave your biggest takeaway in the reviews or message me in any way on Instagram or really anywhere that you follow us and the show. I want to hear from you and what you're learning and how Logan's episode is helping you connect back with nature and what you're taking from it, because that's really what this is all about. So anyways, guys, I'm going to stop talking and let my good friend, Mr. Logan, take us for a ride through mother nature. Enjoy. Yo, 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 welcome back to another episode of Stay Grounded. i host Raj. And we have a familiar friend back with us today. What's up, Logan? Hey, Roj. How's it going? It's always a pleasure to see you, man. I just Mm -hmm. was talking about how we were in San Diego together and just being around you makes me really, really, really happy. And it's funny because we had a pretty interesting conversation when we were in San Diego. Obviously, there was no mics involved. Usually there needs to be a mic involved around us when we're having conversations. I just think that needs to be a golden rule now, moving forward. (laughs) But uh, we had a great conversation. And then I was reminded that we'd be having a recorded conversation literally the week after. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really excited about this, man. Yeah, I believe that
1: conversation was on gratitude, at least part of it. Part of it was on
0: gratitude. Uh, So I think uh, that's a great segue, actually, into what I'd love to talk to you about now. So first question I have for you, Logan. So let's let's stem from gratitude and appreciation. I remember in our last episode we talked a lot about your journeys in the rainforests and a lot of the work that you're that that's that spurred from there the book you're writing and I think it's finished actually so I'd love to yep, dive into it. It's finished. It's out there. And people are starting to love it. Yeah, so we'll dive into that a little later but just in general, how did that experience change your appreciation for nature as a whole? It
1: increased it, I'll I'll start with that. It really, as a kid growing up, uh, you know, I probably went camping maybe twice or something. Uh, Even though my parents were hippies, they had kind of dropped all that by the time I was being raised. I'm the third of three kids. And so we were really standard American life in, in many, many different ways. So we weren't really involved in nature. I can't really remember that being a big part of my upbringing in any way. So this journey for me, you know, turning into an emissary of nature, which for those that listened to the previous podcast, that was the message that came out of going down to the Amazon rainforest. It has been a journey of like starting from ground zero for me. Like, how do you get in touch with this nature and kind of really have this gratitude and appreciation for it? And just really understanding like the level of detail I went, the research I did in this book, just understanding how complex life is, how even with our most advanced science today, like we're just scraping the surface of what we know about the symbiotic relationship between, you know, our gut bacteria and our human cells. And then there's the the fungal component that is us and even the animal component. So there's the relationships and everything that goes on in nature is vastly more complex than average human really gives credit to i believe so yeah just being able to look at nature in awe i think is a powerful powerful thing and something that if people did more often it would serve them well
0: how would it serve them well
1: awe is a good feeling it's uh to really think about that being awestruck when was the last time you were struck by awe so looking out over at like an amazing view or uh noticing the, the growth of something out there in nature. And of course there's awe striking things away from nature, but I think getting into that, that it's, it's a humble feeling, right? Something that's humans. It's, it's easy to, you know, get really involved with our ego and think like, Oh, we're so great and all that we do. And, you know, you want to have a healthy ego and all that, but having off or what is out there that's so far beyond what we can even comprehend with our consciousness is Something that keeps us humble and will keep us in that state of gratitude.
2: I think it's an
0: important distinction. I mean, I always feel like every time I go into nature, whether it's the mountains or especially the mountains, if I go into the mountains and I witness just how vast, just how much there is, you almost get grounded in it. And for lack of a better word on this podcast, you just get get brought back to almost Mm -hmm. a reminder of even your place in in nature or like your true role. How has your time in nature helped you define your roles as a human in the other parts of your life, whether it's as a father or as a businessman or as a writer? I mean, how has how has your time in nature helped you craft that identity?
1: I'll answer your question. First I want to address something. You said you have like the special affinity for the mountains. For me, I, I feel, although I love all different aspects of nature, like I seem to have a special affinity for the forest. And in most people I've talked to, there
0: seems to be like one geography, terrain of nature that... I want to say real quick, my, in, in that context, yeah. my affinity is actually the ocean. The ocean, yeah. yeah. So I'm a, I'm a water baby through and through. I was just using the mountains as an example yeah. of how I feel vastly... But I guess I feel the same way with the ocean too. Like, I mean, when I look at the ocean's vast, (laughs) pretty damn vast. Like I remember I was in Hawaii, uh, in Maui a little while ago. And when I was sitting there, I remember looking out at the oceans and I just felt like I could stare at the water and the waves crashing for literally like hours. Like I was just losing myself in it. And it was almost like this amazing reminder of life just continuously happening with or without me, which mm-hmm. goes back to the humbling force that we mentioned. Anyways, I didn't want to, just want but forest. continue my friend. Right. So yeah. The, and
1: of course it's not like, Oh, I love forest, but I don't like the hills or anything like that. There, There's different things you can grasp from different terrains, but yeah, people do tend to have one or more special affinities to these different things. So for me personally, I mean, this is, well I, well, I did move further up in the mountains, but uh, for quite a few number of years, like I, I really like going to the forest more than say the the beach. For me, that suits me real well. So, back to the question: like, how has this affected other areas of my life? The research is saying if you spend time in nature, it doesn't really matter what type of nature, but you're going to lower your stress levels. Basically, going to increase your ability to think uh, creatively. You're going to support your mood in a varied ways. Basically, just being in nature. Makes you better, makes you healthier, and it really does come down to that across all these different measurements that they're looking at. So nature is doing something for us, and there's specifics about that. For instance, in in the forest or in different areas where there's plants, there's going to be the phytoncides or the essential oils of these plants coming up, and then those components are in the air. We're breathing those in, and those can be you know antiviral, antibacterial. I've heard it said that the air in a birch forest is cleaner than the air you'll find in a hospital, right? Because you have these components in there, which are, you know, stress lowering all these different effects from them. But then you also have the sensory stimulation. Uh, We humans have been conditioned really to think in like linear lines and think of geometry and whatnot. But the complexity that we see here is working in frequencies and differences that stimulate our senses in a way that's going to, actually make those senses better. So for instance, a lot of people uh, become nearsighted, they can see near, they can't see far. And that's been associated with just being indoors all the time. Uh, So one, you're not looking as that far of distances, but it also may be the complexity of nature. Like just look at a tree and all the different leaves that are there, compare that to house or room indoor, the linear lines of the square box that we have going on, right? Very different things that are going on. So there's all these components of nature that are just going to support us so that if you are healthier and happier and your mood's better and stress is lowered, you're going to be better in your relationships. You're going to be better with your kids. You're going to be able to think more creatively and be more productive in your business by spending that time out there in nature. It is this kind of paradox of slowing down in order to speed
0: up. I think what you brought up—the the unpredictability of nature—like mm-hmm. you're right. Like when we live in a home, we're living in a very square, rectangular, very geometric shape. And generally speaking, those geometric shapes don't show up in nature. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's a really interesting point for me. When you spend time in nature, you're essentially getting used to the to the uncertainty. Uh, you're all—it's not even getting used to. You're getting reminded. I think that's how I've always felt. Whenever I walk in nature, I just feel reminded of something, and I don't know. Honestly, a lot of times I don't even know what that thing is. Mm-hmm. I'll just be in nature, but I'll be reminded of like some feeling or some sense of connection or purpose, or maybe like a synaptic draw between two different parts of my life. Like I'll just, I'll, I'll think in different ways, and I think that's so important. Now, you mentioned something that was actually pretty intriguing for me. So, if people have different affinities. Like, let's say I have an affinity for the water, you have an affinity for the forest. Should we be infusing our lives with, like you said, essential oils in particular, or nutrients or different things? Like, should we be infusing our diets and our day to day activities with herbs, essential oils, and different things that are aligned with our affinity? Is that something that's real? Yeah, one way you can think about it is
1: you know, we're using this term nature, which is this very nebulous term, like all of the earth, everything essentially is nature, right? But we can break it down and think about it in smaller things. So the ocean or the mountains, or you could think of even a, a certain plant, like uh, on my yard, I have an elder tree growing. So with these different parts of nature, you can have relationship with them, just like you and I have a relationship, right? A very good relationship that we both appreciate. So it can be the same way with nature, And this can be, yeah, you want to go out to the ocean in order to, you know, spend more time with it, establish that and grow that relationship and different ways you could do it, like taking some sand back from the beach and having that, and that will be a physical object that can kind of bring you back to that state if you need that grounding or something like that. And people will do this, they go up to the mountains and they'll take a special stone from there, which is part of that mountain, and they'll keep that with them. There are all different ways you can do this. So at my office, one of the things that's good for the air supply is to bring the essential oils in and you can use a diffuser and have that running. And that's going to be cycling these molecules through the air. So it's going to, once again, support your mood, enhance your productivity, keep you healthier in doing that, as opposed to the off-gassing chemicals from carpets and furniture and kind of the normal stuff that's inside in our indoor air. Can you describe how it
0: feels for you when
1: you're in a forest? there's not like one feeling I would say kind of depends what's going on at that time. But if I'm out, let's say I'm out in the forest alone, just kind of walking through with the purpose of slowing down and kind of connecting that relationship with the forest. Then yeah, it's very calm. It's very leisurely. It is childlike in a way, right? It's, it's much more playful and open as opposed to, And this adult thing of like, oh, I got shit to do. Let's move on and do this. And, you know, what as a business person tends to be my predominant mindset much of the time. So it's, it's, yeah, I'd say more open, more experiential, happier, playful. Those are some of the words I'd use
0: to describe it and relaxed, of course. How do people make time? I guess like, you know, for me, I I just moved to Austin.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and I live in a part of the city that has a lot of nature, but like I'm always working. Like I always get myself working and I always keep myself going and I never actually intentionally make the time to go for walks or for, to be around nature. How do you personally, you seem you have such a strong affinity for nature and you make intentional time for it. Why is that so important for you? Like why is it so important for you to make intentional time to be in nature when you as somebody has a lot of stuff to do too? And I would just love to find even clarity for myself. Like, if I could take even a, an ounce of your affinity for nature and just being out there and the habits you've created to put yourself in nature. And I had that for myself. I just think that I would have a lot more happiness, but for some reason I'm not prioritizing that for myself. Okay. Yeah, and it,
1: it does come down to priorities. And let me preface this by saying I'm by no means perfect in this. I, I still go through periods where it's like, Oh, I need to spend more time out there in nature. So uh, a few things that I have done that have worked for me, one is realizing, yeah, even if you live in the city, you still are surrounded by nature. Like there'll be weeds growing up out of the cracks in the sidewalk. Just go there and observe that plant for a minute. You know, you can spare a minute out of your day. And that will actually, you know, if there's a dandelion, though, you can establish a relationship with the, the species that is dandelion. So it can be something like that. You're mentioning walks. One One thing is, if you are, you know, a business owner, entrepreneur, like you said, you can always be working on something, but you also need time to think and be creative. So, doing a walk specifically around, like, oh, I have this problem, and I'm going to think on this while I'm walking. That's going to work better than if you were just sitting at your computer screen thinking about that problem, right? So, being able to combine things like this that helps. One of the routines I didn't write this about in the book because it kind of formalized after I'd finished it, but uh, I call it the Church of Nature routine, right? So, a lot of people are uses used to go into a church or mosque, synagogue, whatever on a once a week frequency, right? It's a cycle of time. They go and spend that time. I have been treating nature that way. So I make sure once in a week, at least that I'm going out to something like the forest or the ocean or somewhere in nature where I'm spending more of that time, because, you know, like a church, often those are built with this awe inspiring look to them that can help us reach that transcendental sort of state. Nature is much the same, right? A grove of trees is in some ways very similar to a church. So by having this mind and thinking in terms of like the church of nature, and that's where I'm going to go to connect to something more spiritual, that has helped to establish it as a little bit more of a solid routine. One other thing, it can be hard because we are very action-oriented to just go like go for a walk in nature. Like there's not really an end goal to that. And if you're a goal-driven type of person, like... I believe both you and me are, then that, that's tougher to do. But if you can aim for something else, so something I've been doing lately is forging for food. So I'll go to a place, for instance, forging for acorns or uh, some medicinal herbs. There's mugwort and St. John's wort nearby. If I'm going out to nature to get something, uh, one, I have that thing that I can then use to make medicine and herbal supplies later on. So I get something out of it. But it's also there's a, a target, a purpose time in nature, more so than just going for a walk. So that's been really useful. Uh, similarly, I go and collect fresh spring water. That's the predominant drinking water that I get. So that forces me to go out in nature regularly because I got to replenish that supply. So it's, it's all about building these little kind of habits into your routine. And of course, to jumpstart that it takes prioritizing them in the first place.
2: So you're like a hermit.
1: Well, I have moved further up in the mountain, so I'm closer to nature and it's harder to get in the city and do stuff, but you know, uh, priorities, right? As I, as I went more into these natural habits, the more I wanted to be closer to nature, have some land, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. One thing I loved that you, what you mentioned was the idea of using nature as as a spiritual conduit, right? So the church of nature, I love that because... (laughs) When I think about what I was saying earlier, like that feeling of connection to purpose and, and, and just something bigger than myself, like that's spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like it's like a cleansing. If you would um, just when you're in nature, there's just, there's, I love the idea of making that the habit, but one thing is cool is the presence in nature. It's not just being in nature. It's being present in nature. Can you describe and distinguish the difference between those two? Like, why is it important? Like, if I just went for a walk and I was thinking about everything that was in my mind, yeah, there's a productive reason to do that. Mm -hmm. But to me, the real value that comes from being in nature is when you're present in it. So I guess, like, could you just comment on that? Yeah, I
1: think they're both good. Like, just to go out, walk in nature, uh, even if you are thinking about problems all the time, still better than nothing would still recommend that if you got to start there but yeah the i think one thing that's very fascinating to reflect on is you know we humans we get trapped in our head we get trapped in our bubble tend to think you know only of our human problems but everything in nature is alive i mean some people say like the stones and rocks aren't but you know ancient wisdom they would say everything is alive this animist spirit but Regardless, there's life all around you in nature. There's the microbes, stuff we're not seeing, then the plants and animals, of course. There's a lot of beings with you in nature. I think that can be a fun thing to reflect on that will definitely make you more present in the moment because it's easy to think if you go out alone to nature that you're alone, but really in actuality, you are not. You're just not with anyone of your species, but there's all kinds of other beings that are present there. And once again, this building the relationship with them, actually connecting with them. One of the things I talk about in my book in a practice I've done is essentially it's talking to plants. It's not in the same way that you and I are talking now, because obviously they don't have vocal cords. They don't talk in the same way. But there's a, a methodology to doing this where you can actually tap into that, the spirit of that plant there and communication can happen. So that's definitely a way in which you'll become very present to what is going on. I, I won't say there's any like one way to become present, but yeah, just to relax, think about the, the livingness around you to just enjoy what your senses bring in without necessarily thinking about it. I mean, that's presence right there. So just allow the the sights to butt in, the sound of the wind rustling through the trees or the animals, the birds chirping, whatever, allow that to just come in without you necessarily Filter it one way or another. Just let that be, and that will bring you into presence. It's kind of funny. So I was in uh,
0: Belize like a year, year, maybe a year ago, over (laughs) year, and we went inland to the jungles, and that's the that's the most jungle I've ever been in. Right. So we stayed at a lodge that was inside the jungle, Mm -hmm. and the way that the staff were treating nature—I mean, everything from spiders to giant critters. I mean, you know, my girlfriend was not having it. <laughs> like, the it Raj? like, you know, and, but these people who live there and bear on this culture, like the way he described the forest was healthy. And I remember him saying that he was like, you know, you're in a very healthy part of the world. I, I, I didn't really think much about it, but now that I'm looking back, I'm, I guess I'm just reflecting on that. What he was describing was just the, the abundance of life. And being present to the abundance of life around you, whether you can see it, whether you can hear it, whether you can smell it, it's just something you can feel and it's not something you can think. Why can't you think your way through nature? Are your thoughts not... Because your thoughts are still a part of you, right? So like, why don't your thoughts have any utility when it comes to experiencing nature?
1: So the rational mind is obviously a very useful tool. But we have, the like, the dominant worldview has enshrined this, you know, the scientific viewpoints, the, the only way of interacting with the world. Everything else is hogwash. But that doesn't seem accurate. <laughs> There's greatness in the irrational. That would be one way to put it. Yeah, spending time in nature. Thinking, well, thinking just, thinking by itself takes you out of that presence, right? Because you you go from, let's say, that sensory... Stimuli or this feeling that you have into uh, your mind where you're thinking in, because thinking mostly comes across in words, words are like one step removed from the thing they're actually describing or one or more steps, right? Depending on levels of abstraction, right? But if I say the word tree, right? You and I, we can communicate that, but that is different than looking at and feeling the presence of a tree, right? So I have one right outside my window here and just looking at that tree the word tree doesn't accurately describe that. I mean, the, the map is not the territory, so it cannot get to realness of what that living being is, right? So this, this is a couple of reasons why the thinking is removed from the, the presence or the being in nature. And if we're just thinking, right, then we're thinking in terms of like productivity and resources, kind of the direction our society has gone. And then we're seeing nature as, you know, wasted space or just those resources that we can harvest and make money out of. So this is part of it. This is an issue of rationality gone kind of out of control. If we're always in that thinking mind, we are not going to necessarily stop and feel the presence of these other beings in nature.
0: Respect them, right? I mean, I remember when I, I think a couple months ago, I went on my first spearfishing trip. And we went out there. I've never been spearfishing before in my life. Oh, yeah. it's so yeah. much. Fun. I mean, dude, I was I'm hooked, man. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, but this is counterintuitive though, you know, like I grew up in a in a Hindu family. My mom's a vegetarian, uh my, my dad eats meat. But like I was raised under the kind of notion of just like respect for animals, but not even a respect. It was more like a they're living things, you don't hurt them.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
0: that kind of attitude, which is what a lot of like that's yeah. a lot of it's a cultural thing. I remember when I went spearfishing, it was my first time going spearfishing. I've been fishing before with my dad and my dad likes to fish, but we, we always caught it and let it go. Or, you know, we did something like that. So like we went out to these islands and we anchored down. And for the first time, like, I didn't even have like one of those guns. I had like a, like a trident. Mm -hmm. Trident. so I felt like a badass for one. (laughs) I felt like Poseidon in the water, just trying to just, just going out and there's a little elastic at the end. And I was, I felt awesome. Anyways, So I go in the water. I mean, I was unsuccessful at getting fish. Like I was not very good. at.
1: It's it's not easy.
0: (laughs) It's not easy. I was not very good. You know, obviously the captains were going down and like they were catching all sorts of stuff and bringing it back and they were cooking for us. And it it was really cool being around that. But I didn't actually get a fish until like two days in when I went. And I'll never forget this. I caught the fish. I brought it up. And then we cooked it. We ate it. But my level of respect for fish, fishing, and the act of, you know, just eating fish changed. That changed dramatically. Now, to date, I don't go to the store and buy farm-produced fish. I, it always has to be sustainably line-caught. I don't buy tuna anymore. Like, I, 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 I'm so, like, conscious of, like, nature and, and, and the food that I eat. I think because I put myself in such a present experience in nature that forced me to sort of like have that real, it's like, it's it's backwards, right? If I would have gone to my mom and said, Hey mom, me going down there and stabbing a fish is going to make me respect fish more and actually eat more responsible fish or not eat as much of it at all. Like if I would have told her that it would have been a backwards way of thinking about it. it. So then I guess like when you think about just people who, quote unquote, respect nature. Like when you say vegetarians, right? Or, or and, and you know, like I love vegetarians and vegans. My mom's a vegetarian. So anybody listening, if you're a vegetarian or vegan, do not take this as a stab against you. That's not what this is meant to be. But what I want to ask is like, why do you think people who are like, why do you think there are so many trains of thought when it comes to like our relationships with nature?
1: Absolutely. It's a great question. And I definitely talk about this in the chapter on food. It was an interesting chapter to write for my book. And one of the things I say in there is like, because diet's a polarizing thing, right? (laughs) So if really the, there's so many other aspects to health, but diet is given the kind of the, the only thing that most people focus on. It's not necessarily even the most important thing. It's definitely important, not denying that. So the the reason why there are 10,000 different diets out there is because most people do not have experience with food like you had spearfishing, like I have started I've gone spearfishing a couple of times. have enjoyed that. I've started foraging, right? It's this lack of actually understanding where food comes from because we'll never take it. straight. Like you can think about food, but just thinking, oh, it, it comes from the supermarket. Like <laughs> You don't understand where food comes from. You don't have that experience of gathering it, of processing and cooking it, of catching it. So it's very important. And if people actually had this experience, like if if we could give everyone across the world experience of what goes into food, all the food that they eat, it would change how people ate incredibly, right? If you actually saw what went into a factory farm, the vast majority of people would no longer support that, right? And an important thing to recognize for meat eaters, vegans, vegetarians is once again, everything's living right? You, in order to survive, you must take life. Everything is either a living being or part of a living being. So I I can get, I can understand that I spent six months or so being a vegetarian, I've experimented with raw veganism. I've done all kinds of things over the years. Understanding that, yeah, you must take life in order to live is a very important thing. So uh, whether you are spearing a fish and then eating that yourself, or you're having a salad, that's coming from living beings. Once you've established a relationship with a few plants, then it's like, well, those are living too. So what's the, what's the big difference between them? That's my personal viewpoint. And much like you, I, I feel that getting this closer connection to the food that would automatically restore health to people because it's only by having it layers and layers of production and industry removed that we're able to have the types of
0: foods that we have today. Absolutely. I mean, population has created the problem, right? Like it's not, this wasn't something that we naturally inclined towards to be so far removed from food. I mean, there's just too many people and not enough resources that's created a set of circumstances that have to be met through the systems we have today. Mm-hmm. Um, what's fascinating to me when it comes to food and when it comes to uh, people's relationship with, you said something that I can't stop thinking about now. And I forgot what it was. So I'm like, I'm annoyed at myself for not remembering it. And because I totally want to like dive deeper into the concept of what was it? It'll come back to you. It'll come back. It'll come back in some way, shape, or form. So nature. Uh, and let's go back to the book because uh you've touched on a lot of different concepts when it comes to food, relationships and with plants themselves. Oh, that's what it was. The so I knew if I just kept talking, I knew it would just come. Look at that; just came back. You talk a lot about like you can't have life without taking it. And That's a very powerful way of saying that because I've always believed that even any relationship you have, like energy, energy is abundant, right? So, like the life force you might take from food to feed yourself is just energy you are taking from something to feed yourself. And you're you're transferring energy over. When you go in nature, right, and and you go and you experience this, has your own sort of perception of like just energy or like just, just like what is your, like what is your take on just the concept of energy and in the ways it pertains to whether it's energy in the form of like inspiration or energy in the form of actual physical fuel like food or maybe energy in the form of like just like massive focus like I guess all of these are just forms of energy being manifested in different ways. So how do you personally view energy and how do you, uh, what is your relationship to it?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to answer your question. Something I'm going to address first is the, the relationship of food, the, the web of life, right? And some the also can be fun. Some people might think morbid, but interesting to contemplate is that you two are going to be, I mean, you already are food for things, sort of like your bacteria, there's a symbiotic relationship, but after you die and you go, you become food, the bacteria, the uh, mycelium, various things are going to break you down. I mean, we do have this death preserving thing where you'll be cremated or, you know, filled with formaldehyde and hidden away so that you don't die. But personally, for me, the, I think the most natural way and what I would like to have happen with my body is a natural burial, you know, just bury me under the ground. The nature will take care of the rest. I will return to dust. I will be eaten up by these things and new life will spring forth, right? So we are part of that web of life, even though we try to largely remove ourselves from it. So energy, energy is another one of those big nebulous words. Yeah, I'm not even sure the best direction to take it because there's energy systems in the body, various things that we can work with. There's the energy we feel, as you mentioned, the energy of inspiration. It's a big subject and One way we can think about energy is frequency, right? That's uh, from what we see to what we hear to the things we can't see and can't hear that are beyond this. It's all frequencies of energy, essentially everything. You know, if we could talk about superstring theory or whatever, everything is these frequencies that are vibrating. So being able to having more energy could be about tapping more into these energetic frequencies that we have available. Because if you think of your body, not just as a body, but as a channel, which you know, without even necessarily going so spiritual, right? We are uh, taking food and other resources into our body. We are transforming them in some ways into usable energy for us, which we can then input out. And of course we can go much more spiritual with it. So what are the inputs? What is the informational inputs, what kind of frequencies are coming out? What kind of frequencies are you putting out and how are those transforming within your body? So this could be a, a few different ways that you look at energy and what it does for you.
0: Okay. So I guess let's, let's, let's drill down frequency. You said frequency and you mentioned the different, I guess, like different sizes of frequency, energy that, so do you think people are more in tune to certain types of energy over others? And why is that? Like I might be, um, I just might have a more intuitive sense to feel something. Mm -hmm. Um, in one area of life, you might be much more gifted at feeling another set of frequencies in another area of life. So like, why is that? And two, once we recognize which parts of life we're more frequency, like our frequencies are more in tune with, how can we develop the others?
1: Yeah, it's interesting to think about why do we have these certain affinities that we can't necessarily explain? There's no, there's ways we can rationalize them, but we just, something happens and we connect with it. Like for me, and this is something we kind of discussed in our previous episode, our chat together was, you know, when I read this book of an old time strongman, I was already getting in the field, but I was like, for whatever reason, I want to do that. I had this affinity for it. Also kind of like the affinities for nature we've been talking about. So there, and one way we could think about that in terms of frequency is this resonance. For some reason, the, the frequencies between that idea or that part of nature and the frequencies within me are somehow in alignment
0: in resonance. I guess now I'm more curious. You found a connection between strength training and then now you find yourself a connection with nature and you've created a little trifecta of all of them. you've mm-hmm. got a lifestyle that supports everything. How do you continue finding those affinities? Is there is it almost like just kind of trusting the path and just doing everything that feels right or how do you begin to take the affinity for one thing and apply it to another part of your life that you might want that level of affinity with?
1: Very interesting questions. One other thing this brings up, and this gets back to the, the communicating with nature. This will make sense in a little bit. So the, the method by which this happens is not through the vocal cords, as we've already established. But even when you were, we have video here, I know people uh, listening aren't going to see this, but when you were talking about how you had an affinity for something, you're gesturing towards your heart. And that's letting me know that that is where you are feeling this. This is where that feeling is based out of it, maybe moving across, but there's a heart thing. And one of the things I talk about in my book, and this really came out of the work of Stephen Harrod buner which is an amazing author that I quote probably too many times in the book because he's so good. But he, he talks about this communication with nature through the organ of the heart. That the heart is actually a sensory organ. The heart is like your eyes, like your nose, like your ears. It is picking up information. So the light that is entering through our eyes, right? This is frequencies, wavelengths that are in the visible spectrum. What we pick up through the ears is certain frequencies of sound. The heart is picking up electromagnetic frequencies uh, that We may not be able to perceive other ways, but everyone's had the experience of going into a building and having a feeling that it just felt right. Or I don't want to be here for some reason. There's something wrong. Pretty much everyone has had that feeling, right? Where does that feeling come from? Well, there's frequencies at play and there's a a resonance. We have this sensory organ that is the heart that can pick them up. And every living being generates Frequencies, right? So, if you can train this instrument, just like you can train your eyes to see better to some degree, or at least be able to pick out details more, you can train your ear. I mean, look at a master musician, they can hear stuff that the average person cannot hear at all when it comes to that sort of music. So, our senses are trainable. What if we take this organ, the heart, which we don't even think about in our Western society, which means it's downplayed and ignored and not in use? What if we actually realize that that is there and that? It can be trained and we can become much better so that we can reach out and touch something, not with a physical, not with our hands, but reach out and touch something with our heart and feel what that thing is. Get the information back because we are trading this information. And then when you're going about your life and something comes on your radar, something that you notice, whether it's in a conversation or you're out in nature and that thing is going to touch you, whether you know it or not, but then you'll have much more awareness. And from
0: that awareness, you can then decide on the direction you want to go. Dude, that's a brilliant answer. How, do you, how does one actually practice that muscle of the heart? I mean, mm-hmm. conventional ways like trusting and being vulnerable and removing the layers of pain or suffering that you might have experienced. But it's interesting. I mean, I'm, it's really interesting you said that. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about this Buddhist philosophy. I'm not going to quote me on this. I'm not saying this. I'm just, I'm just what I heard or what I understood. Apparently, there's something in the Buddhist philosophy that talks about how thoughts originate in the heart. So they originate in the heart. So it's like a prickling. Or if you feel something, that's your body thinking before your mind does. And then your mind chooses to process that information and yep. do what you will with it.
1: Absolutely. This is like scientifically demonstrated. The heart is sending more information to the brain than vice versa. In our Western society, we are brain-centric. We think the brain is everything, like people think that consciousness lies in the brain, obviously that it's a part of it, but I don't agree that that's the same thing. They haven't been able to explain it as such. And we think everything originates Everything that's important is really the brain. But you look at ancient cultures, so many of them would ask like, where are you centered? Where is your mind? And they would point to the heart, right? Because this, it really is a lot more, is going on here than most of us give credit to. The average viewpoint is that the heart merely pumps the blood. And actually, that's not even true. (laughs) The heart does have this pumping action, but there's no physically possible way that it could pump the blood throughout your body into these capillaries that are one cell thick all across your body uh, just by this action. The, the whole circulatory system essentially pumps itself. There's this other action going on. So we do not understand. I mean, the, the heart also produces hormones that then are acting on the rest of the body as well. The heart does vastly more than we recognize. So yeah, I, I think that using the word think, right? But if we were uh, based in the heart. If we were centered in here, one, we'd have more presence. One, we'd be able to connect to nature as well as any sort of other thing, but it would lead to a radically different worldview and lifestyle to really be based in the heart rather than in the head. How do you
0: bring yourself back to your
1: heart personally? Breathing can be one thing. Actually, like feeling, I feel an internal sensation of kind of a sinking down. It's a more grounded feeling, but also centering right so it's it's moving towards the center into the heart actually like physically touching because i'm a kinesthetic person like touching over the the breastplate where the heart is that can help me to get in touch to notice it to slow down and then what i was talking about before as far as you know what what's the purpose just to get in touch with the heart or to do something with the heart so then i may reach out and you know touch something like feel into our conversation, for instance, right here with the heart, I can do that and notice what is going on with it, which is very different than thinking about our conversation
0: going
2: on here. Right,
0: right, right. So I guess presence is kind of the tool that you use to activate the heart muscle, like, or the powers of the heart that are beyond mm-hmm. pumping blood or all the conventional, like the conventional, like when you're staying present, you aren't thinking with your brain, you're thinking with your heart. And one of the
1: things I describe in my book is kind of a step-by-step, somewhat step-by-step process of talking to a plant. How do you actually use this? So this involves some of the things said slowing down. So one thing about the whole plant world, all of nature, pretty much, besides some animals that are, you know, have shorter lifespans, but we, we humans move pretty fast, right? Especially compared to a tree, right? Trees are moving. They're, they're pumping, they got circulatory systems, they're growing, all kinds of things are happening. They're absorbing nutrition from the light, the sun, and the, the ground. They have interactions with other plant material and with the mycelial networks. There's a lot of stuff going on. We just don't see it. To slow down to the level of a tree, that takes presence. That takes sinking into a deep feeling. That takes relaxation. That takes shifting into a different mode. And that's kind of the the first step of opening up that communication, right? Because a a tree shouting at you as trees may try to do from time to time in different ways, but you're not going to notice that if we're just always thinking and moving about in our life. So if you really want to build up this ability to communicate in this way, then slowing down, way down, spend an hour sitting with a tree, getting in touch with it,
0: then you'll notice something. (laughs) Also pumped to read your book. I guess I have a question on that. Like what is the value of slowing down to communicate with just nature? I guess like, I'm curious. It sounds crazy to me, right? Like it sounds crazy talking to plants or talking to trees. Oh, I recognize that. I mean,
1: I was, (laughs) I was skeptical of all this stuff, but you know, it's just kind of where life led me.
0: Right. 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 So, but I'm, but I'm, I'm intrigued and I'm, I'm actually very interested. So like, Mm -hmm. What is the value of doing that? I share a couple of stories in my book.
1: Uh, one is experiences in talking to wild rose. I'd, I'll say, read the book, I'd do much better justice to them there, but uh experience with wild rose, which was my craziest experience in talking to a plant. Some of the stuff that occurred with that was, I mean, this is like psychedelic level type of stuff, but I was not on any psychedelics there. That, kind of transformed my heart and what I was able to do with it in a big way. Then other experiences, I mean, there's ways of just talking to plants. Different species, will you'll have different relationships, right? Just like you do with people. Some people are your friends, some people aren't your friends. That's how it goes in nature as well. Uh, I I worked with the redwood trees for uh, quite some time and that gave me some business ideas. So (laughs) spending time talking to a tree and getting some wisdom. Downloaded that actually steered how I was doing things in the human world, essentially. So there are different ways you can think about this. But once again, back to a relationship. So you have certain mentors that are human beings, right? Why keep it to one species? (laughs) Because you can learn things you will never learn from any human from talking to a tree or a mushroom or a plant
0: or ant what's the communication channels obviously not words
1: yeah so the the best way i can liken it right is you're you're getting in touch with the the heart and then the heart is sending the information to the brain so then what's going to come across is i liken it a good metaphor is the plant or whatever you are communicating with may then play you like an instrument so that means images movies may come up. Memories you've had in the past, a certain song you've heard, phrases. Sometimes language does come through, but there'll be a different location, a different tonality to it in which you can differentiate it from your own thinking. So feelings may come up. Emotions, you may just all of a sudden get sad while you are sitting here talking to a tree. And you may have no clue what that's about, but that, that's the thing. It's not a You can also think about this like learning another language, right? Not an easy thing to do. And some people are definitely better at it than others. And especially since it doesn't even involve words, it's using other systems. It can be very different. But if you go into it, then something will often come out. When I first got into this process, I was attending an herbalism class and we were working with this one plant, Oregon Grape. Throughout the weekend, we had several different plant sits with it where we would do this communication. and We weren't supposed to talk at all. Between it, then at the end of the the last day, we had been there for a three-day thing, I believe it was, we all started sharing our experiences and then we started learning the plan. Like Most of the people hadn't ever interacted with this plan before. And it was interesting to see the common threads that were coming up, meaning that something was actually coming through. It wasn't just coincidence that people were having very similar experiences or, or sensations that came about working with this plan. So that was my introduction to it. into it. And I was like, okay, sounds interesting. I'll try this some more. And yeah,
0: it's, it's a very fascinating process. I think uh, just to what clarified it for me here uh, and if for anyone listening, when I heard talking tree, I guess I just had this idea of somebody literally just like having, Hey, tree, how you doing? Like just having a conversation with a tree yep. and it sounded absolutely crazy to me.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: when you described being in nature, And the thoughts that might come up for me or the feelings that might come up for me, never associated that with nature communicating. That's the
1: thing. People think they are thinking all the time. Well, one, most of our thoughts are repetitive, right? So it's not even any sort of new thinking. But there are times when well, yeah, who's to say our thoughts are our own, right? Things just come into our mind. So did you really think that, or where did it come from? And may there not be a thousand different sources that can come from. I'll give you a very interesting recent feature experience. I'm wandering through the woods. This is an area where I uh, get my spring water often. I'm wandering through and there's redwoods around and there's this what's called redwood sorrel. It's this little sour grass-like plant. It, it looks like a clover. A three leaf clover, right? So I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if there's that same mutation occur where there's a four leaf version of that plant. And literally two seconds later, I see a four leaf redwood sorrel sitting there. So <laughs> how did this happen, right? This is a synchronicity between my thinking and it reflected in reality right then and there. Was there some sort of communication from the plant letting me know that it happened before it happened that initiated the thinking in the first place? Did somehow my thoughts create and change reality right there? Like what actually went on? There's some sort of communication going on that led to this very crazy event. Like the chances that you you can't put probabilities on that because I've interacted with Redwood Sorrel a lot. I've never seen a four leaf version before. So what was actually going on during that? My best guess would be there was, I was in this, this open, relaxed, present state because i had been walking in the forest for at least half an hour or something. So I was in this very open, receptive state, and this was coming up, and somehow I started thinking about it. This led to that communication to see it right then and there. Very interesting to think about, but I think that kind of shows that, yeah, our thoughts may not be our own. So when you are out in nature, I mean, this is where the whole emissary of nature thing came to. I had this message from the forest. The shaman kind of perceived that in the first place, but it, it was only by being in that presence of nature there
0: at that moment, that that message would come for. First of all, amazing story because I think many people, including myself, can resonate with the idea of like I don't know, like serendipity, not serendipity, but just like things happening, like coincidences, mm-hmm. um, synchronicity, synchronicity, right? Like you said it perfectly. I, I that is real. Whether you want to believe that the messages are coming from plants or another thing, like synchronicity is real. Coincidences happen. And, you know, like, so I I think that that part of this is extremely demonstrated. And for me, what's interesting, I don't actually think any of our thoughts are ours. I think we might process thoughts. Like we might actually, like, I I, I really do think, especially thoughts that usually circle up here, like for me, fear, Mm -hmm. fear never actually generates from me. I think like, I've always believed that like, you know, like, for example, if I'm present, in something. Like I remember the first time I held a baby, my best, like one of my really good friends, she just had a kid and I remember going over and like, she was like one month old and I remember picking her up man, like, I didn't care about anything and all the fears I had in my mind went out the window mm-hmm. because I was thinking about this baby and it's all I was thinking about. So I think if you're present, thoughts don't exist. Like it's hard for you to focus on it. That's why meditation is so hard for people. Because the second you start to just focus on your breathing, your mind wanders because it's hard to stay present on something that isn't yours or that is yours. And so with that frame of thought, if all fears are things that are brought in from outside societies, like a fear of you know failure, a fear of everything, those are all planted in you by external entities, then technically speaking, even thoughts or or ideas or things that you might think you're coming up with can be communicated with you through mediums like plants. To me, that makes very, very, very rational sense. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I love you, dude. Like, <laughs> oh, God, I love you so much. I just, like, this is, I just love having these conversations with you. Like, you are welcome back on the show anytime, Logan. Yeah. Um, well, this is fun because this, this is,
1: You know, I start off the book just kind of laying the framework into the health. And then the the part three is the weird section where I start talking about really talking to plants. And it's not a subject I often go into with people because, yeah, it does sound crazy. And I I will say as I'm walking in the forest, you know, I will say like, hey, to the trees, like I'll actually talk to them because I have this established relationship. And it's not just the words, but, you know, this, this feeling uh, th- this movement that goes in, I will get messages back. It, it, from establishing this, it, it doesn't necessarily have to take an hour-long process in there. It's it, It's been interesting to watch that unfold. And I, I I think I'm still very much a beginner in this. But it's a beginner in a thing that almost no one has experience in. So that puts me as having a lot more experience than most people. Well,
0: Logan, one thing I'm, I admire about you is just your open-mindedness, man. I just love the open-minded, inquisitive nature that you, you have. And I think there's a whole other podcast on just how to have that. <laughs> that alone can help people not only stay grounded, but just create amazing lives by letting their curiosity be the guide for them. But all right, tell me more about the book. So we've talked bits and pieces about it. Where do we find it? Obviously, we're gonna put the show, put it in the show notes, guys. So you don't have to frantic note notes. But where can we find it? How do we get access to it? Yeah, yeah. So the the best
1: place to go is Powered by Nature book dot com powered by nature so we have a special offer for you there um like you can find the book on amazon but if you buy it through the website there uh one it's discounted so 20 dollars plus shipping and handling but then we're giving a 30 dollar gift card for lost empire herbs which we didn't even dive into the herbs at all here but uh i run a, a herbal supplement company so herbs are one of the other part of nature another part of our natural diet that always has been that has not Uh, that we have largely gotten away from. That's kind of the theme, right? We have gotten away from a lot of old natural things that work really well. So trying to bring them back. So you get a $30 gift card, which is more than you pay for the book. Uh, So it's a pretty good deal. So you can try out the herbs. And then a really cool thing we're doing too is for every book sold, we're saving two acres of the Amazon rainforest down in Peru. So, you know, you win, I win, nature wins, like it's win, win, win. And that's the best thing to do. So that's that Full details, a lot more about the book, everything that's inside of it and whatnot. That's at poweredbynaturebook.com.
2: Beautiful.
0: I love it, man. Well, I will be picking it up because uh, now I have to read it. Um, <laughs> and so uh, so I'll be picking it up, guys. Definitely go check it out. And uh, we'll have all of Logan's contact information below, to too, including his social security number, a passport, everything. You, <laughs> you can see it all there and everywhere. But uh, no, Logan, I appreciate you being here, brother. Thank you so much for being back. I've already asked you this question before, but I will ask it again. And I'll probably give you a different answer. (laughs) Why I want to ask you again. So in the midst of everything you sort of experienced recently, or even just as you've grown into your own identity, how do you stay grounded? I
1: stay grounded by routinely going out to nature.
2: And I've seen that one coming.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And actually physically being grounded. I did mention it last time. I remember the question now, you know, when I can, kick the shoes off so actually have skin to earth contact that's a very important thing that's good for your health help support sleep like everything they look at with that science like it's supporting thyroid hormone it's lowering stress and inflammation it lowers muscle soreness from workouts it improves and regulates sleep like yeah so it's it's a very simple and free thing anyone can do that will absolutely help them stay grounded and doing it out in nature while you're getting breathing the air talking to trees you're gonna have a good time
0: (laughs) Throwing a party that I got to be a part of now. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, brother, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate everything. Congratulations on the book and I uh, can't wait to read it. But everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host Raj. This is your friend Logan. And from us, Stay Grounded. Chats. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life.